Well, greetings, brethren. Hopefully, uh, I'm coming through loud and clear. Uh, it's, we've, it's been a little while. We've been off for a couple of weeks, but uh, we're back. We're going to be covering this evening Judges chapter 11, God willing. And then after Judges 11, uh, Pastor Murray is going to join me, and we're going to do some live Q&A. So any questions that you have about the study this evening or any of, this, any of the content that we've covered in the book of Judges, um, or even in some of the sermons that you've heard over the last uh, month or so, in the last six weeks, uh, happy to just have some live Q&A with you as brethren this evening. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. And I apologize for the abrupt start. I usually start with the, the, uh, the music and the, the intro. Uh, so I apologize for the abrupt start. Uh, I'm just rusty. <laughs> it's been off for a couple of weeks. Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, great God Almighty, we come before your holy throne. We're just so grateful, Father, because uh, you have handpicked us. You've given us of your Holy Spirit. You've made us brethren to one another through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. We thank you so much, Father, that as we see the world around us unraveling uh, so quickly, uh, it is very worrying. Uh, many, many people, Father, are being plunged into depression, into anxiety, uh, some to the point of suicide. And yet, Father, we thank you for your word because Christ said that he gave us his word, your word, which is truth, so that his joy might remain in us. That no matter what happens around us, no matter what happens to us, we have this incredible joy because of your word. We praise you, Father, and we thank you for this, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word so that your word might remain in us. We praise you. We ask your blessing now. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. So I mentioned that uh, we're going to cover uh, Judges 11, and I just want to go back a little bit just to pick up the tail end of Judges 10. Again, it's been a little while. Uh, since we've uh, been here. So just a reminder, uh, halfway through Judges 10, I want to just pick this up as context, where God says, you have forsaken me, and he's speaking to Israel. And he says of Israel, you have forsaken me. Imagine that. And, and again, you know, we're studying Judges because God says that these things are written for our examples. Whose example? Who, who, who is it written for? For our example, upon whom the ends of the world have come. I hope it's clear to us that we've turned the corner and, and we're, we're in this new chapter. We're, we're in the concluding events of the history of mankind without God, or the history of mankind rejecting God. God will soon act. He has to act because the earth abides forever and human beings must be here when he returns. And if things are allowed to go the way Satan wants them to go, not a single human being would be left, and certainly not a single Jew or Israelite would be left. So soon God is going to act, but his people forsook him. Is it possible that in the end time, especially when Jesus Christ says that many will have their love grow cold, that many will betray their own brother in the faith. Is it possible that we in the church of God could forsake him? You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. So God has been delivering and delivering and delivering Israel. And every time he delivers them, there's this pattern where they, they apostatize. 
they, they, they are then beaten, they're punished for that, and they cry out to him. And God has tender mercy for Israel. He's in covenant with Israel, and so he delivers them. But when he delivers them, their, their repentance is short-lived. As soon as they have abundance again, they forget God and they forsake God. And so now they're calling out to God, and he reminds them, you know what? You've forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. And last week, or sorry, three weeks ago when we studied this, I was specifically calling out the brethren who are worshiping Baalim. They have run, they've run after Baal. Black lives matter. And they are standing up and fighting and throwing their energy into Black Lives Matter. And my message to you, brethren, who, if any of you are listening, is you have forsaken God. You have forsaken God. For, other, for, for gods that are not gods, but you believe in them. And, and, and the message to God is he will deliver you, from God is he will deliver you no more. And when your calamity comes, go and cry to Balaam. Go and appeal to Black Lives Matter and let them rescue you because you've chosen them. You rejected Jehovah. You rejected Yahweh. And you chose Balaam. So go and cry unto Balaam when the crisis comes and see how much they love you. See how much they love black lives. See how much they believe in black lives, especially those that say they believe in Christ. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Now, this is ancient, but it's for our time. And John 15, verse 7, is really critical for us to understand here. Christ says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, he says, You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So we have on, on the one hand, people who have forsaken God. And God says, I, I, I won't deliver you anymore. Go and cry unto the gods you've chosen. But here we have Christ saying, look, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So there's an intimacy here with those who do not forsake God. And how do we know whether or not we have forsaken God? Well, Christ is giving us an indication right here. It's in our language. It's in our vocabulary. He says, if my words abide in you, those who have forsaken God, those who have forsaken Jehovah, are speaking a language that is foreign to the scriptures. Their vocabulary does not come from the scriptures. So when we hear people talking about social justice, when we hear things like white privilege, when we hear things like white fragility, someone says to me the other day, you're throwing shade. I research these ter this terminology. Where, where does this language come from? What is the etymology of this language? And it's all demonic, all of it. All of it is demonic. But because it's in you know, political correctness, it's in the atmosphere, people speak this way. Then we pick it up and we use this language. But Christ says, if my words stay in you and you stay with me, then you'll ask what you want, and in the time of crisis, it shall be done unto you. So we have to be careful with our language, with our vocabulary. When we speak, do we speak about sin? 
Or do we speak about social justice? The Bible doesn't talk about social justice. So where, where does our language come from? Because the key to uh, enduring to the end is to speak from the Bible, to speak the words of Christ and let these words stay with us. So caution, brethren. The Marxists, the cultural Marxists, are infusing, the postmodernists are infusing new language into the culture. We mustn't speak this language. It's the language of Baal. Let the language that we speak come from the scripture, come from the text. Back to Judges 10. And I just can't emphasize, the stakes are so high. You might hate me, but I love you. The stakes are too high. This, we, we, are, we have hit a crisis. And brethren are being seduced by very, very clever people. Very, 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 very clever people. We must stick to the word. And we don't have to be that clever. We just have to be faithful. And if we're faithful, none of their cleverness will work because we have the text. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, we have sinned. So they finally acknowledged, okay, you know what? We were off. We've sinned. Do you unto us whatsoever seems good unto you. Deliver us only, we pray you this day. So they are in a crisis. They are getting a spanking. They have woken up. Prior to this, they were very arrogant. Prior to this, you couldn't talk to them. Prior to this, you couldn't correct them. But now that the calamity has come, now that they realize what they are involved in and, 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 and what, what's going to befall them, now they're saying to God, do whatever you like, just please deliver us and then we'll take any punishment from you. And they, and they put away the strange gods from among them. The, this infiltration how this infiltrated into Israel, but they got rid of it. They realized, okay, we're wrong, let's get rid of it. Now, they didn't get rid of it because they disliked it. They didn't get rid of it because they hated it. They got rid of it out of convenience. It's like, oh, we're in big trouble. And the reason is these strange gods. So let's get rid of the strange gods so we can get out of trouble. It's not, it's not repentance of the heart. It's repentance of convenience and self-preservation. And they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. So they served the Lord, but not with a true heart, with a heart of convenience, self-centeredness, self-centeredness. Me, 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 my family, my race, my people. Not really a heart of God for all humanity. And so they're serving God out of convenience. And still, despite their flaw, remember, and, and sorry, some of you may not be following our sermons, but we've been talking about the power of story and understanding the hero's journey and how the hero, the protagonist, is working for something, but the protagonist has a fatal flaw. And that's what gives the antagonist power over the protagonist. So God sees this flaw in Israel, but he's in covenant with them. They, Israel is his bride, unfaithful though she may be. And so his soul grieves for Israel, for the misery of Israel. And so Israel is in the pit of misery. Um, and again, we spoke about storytelling. But um, he, he grieves for her. Then the children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped in Mizpah. So they're getting ready now to face off. And just go back, just before we go into Judges 11, just let's go back to the very beginning of Judges. Now, after the death 
of Joshua. So Joshua was a very strong leader. Moses was a strong leader. Joshua was a very strong leader. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass, so over time, that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? So they really don't know. There's no, there's no leadership. They're, they're now have to say, like, we're lost. What, who should do? What, 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 what should happen here? Keep that in mind now as we come to coming into Judges 11, the tail end of chapter 10. And the people and princes of Gilead said one to another, What man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon? He shall be head over the inhabitants of Gilead. So they're lost. <laughs> they lack leadership. They're, they lack uh, leadership with courage. They lack leadership with backbone. They lack leadership with vision. They're just a, a scattered people. They're just a mess. And so even the princes are here, but they don't provide any leadership to the people. The people are ready. For, they want leadership. But even the princes among them, there's no leadership. There's no vision. And so the people and the princes of Gilead, they're talking to one another, saying, who, which man will fight against the children of Ammon? And whoever he is, look at this, he shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. You know what? When you're desperate, you give up your freedom. When you, when you feel like you're endangered, when you're threatened, you'll throw away your freedom. And that's what Israel is willing to do here. We will throw away our freedom. We'll make whoever, whoever can get us out of this situation. So they've pleaded to God, but now they're looking to man. And any man that can get us out of this situation will give him totalitarian control over us. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. This is, now there's some courage, there's some backbone, there's some strength in Israel. But he was the son of a harlot. So he was a, 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 so a, a prostitute. So he's the son of a prostitute, even though he's a Gileadite. And Gilead begat Jephthah. So not, not necessarily the head of Gilead, but Gilead could be, but could be a man named Gilead, uh, who begat Jephthah. So he's definitely a Gileadite. And Gilead's wife bare him sons. So, so he has Jephthah, but he has, multiple, he has many sons. So Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, You shall not inherit our father's house. For you are the son of a strange woman. So again, we'll talk about racism and prejudice and all of this. You know, he probably looked a bit different than they did. And they certainly knew his origin, that he wasn't from the wife. And so in terms of any inheritance, they just felt like, no, you're not a part of us. Why, why should you participate in the inheritance? So they got rid of him. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren. Fled. So he was in trouble. And he realized he couldn't stay. Maybe if he stayed, they would kill him. So he had to run for his life. So Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. So just the rejects basically went with him. And it came to pass, listen to this now, in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. So it didn't happen right away. It wasn't apparent, the danger. When they thrust out Jephthah, they were in, they were in trouble. 
Ammon, God was actually raising up Ammon. So Ammon was growing in strength, but Israel was blind. And so you see today, Israel is blind. The, the, the nations of Israel are blind. We, we don't understand the danger we are in. And so we can't wait. This man, Donald Trump, now, I'm not political. Never, I've never voted in my life. I don't intend to vote. I'm not political. I know nothing about the Republican Party. I, I do know something about Donald Trump. I do know he's surrounded by betrayers in the Republican Party, that politicians are corrupt. I do think there are some exceptions in the Republican Party, but don't ask me about their policies and what they stand for. I don't know, and I kind of don't care. I know a lot about the Democrats because they've been taken over by communists. And on a global basis, I care about what communists do and their strategies and their tactics. So I've been studying the Democratic Party, don't know much about the Republicans, don't really care about them. But this man, Donald Trump, who kind of came out of nowhere, who they hate with, with intensity, it's incredible. If I say Karl Marx, who's responsible for the death of 100 million people, nobody cares. But if I say Donald Trump, the, the hatred, the, the veins, the people, their heads are going to burst with hatred for this man. And all I see him doing is this man that kind of came out of nowhere, this wild card, fighting for the American people, fighting for the American way of life, fighting for freedom. That's what I see. And he's rejected. They want to throw him out of town. You, you, you're not part of our system. You know, one year it's the Bushes, the next year it's the Clintons, and it kind of goes back and forth, and, and it's a whole closed system. You think you're voting, oh, I don't like the Democrats, I think I'll vote Republican. It's all the same. And this wild card comes in out of nowhere, and they can't control him. He says what's on his mind, he does what he thinks is right, he's not particularly refined, but he's, fight, he's a patriot, and they hate him. And they're turning the whole nation about, uh, uh, against him, and they want to run him out of town, and they are blind to the children of Ammon. They are blind to the enemy that's rising up. So once they finally assassinate him or get rid of him by hook or by crook, and then the enemy can now strike because there's no strength in the nation, then you will see the nation change. It's like, you know, this news story I heard the other day when uh, Chaz, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if it was Chaz, but the, the Black Lives Matter folks, they were burning, burning and looting. And, and one of these commentators uh, in his blog said, yeah, burn that stuff down. And then the next day, they were right outside his neighborhood. And he's like, these animals are outside my, where are the police? They need to be arrested. Oh, funny how things change when it touches you. Same with Chaz, the mayor of Seattle. Oh, it's going to be a summer of love. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. Let them just uh, have their fun while they're murdering and raping and stealing. Oh, it's a summer of love until it came to her door. And then she said, we have to shut this down. With half an, within half an hour, it was all shut down. It's funny how people's perspective changes when they think they're in peace and safety. And people have so much things to say when it's peace and safety. The minute the danger is on their doorstep, their whole perspective changes. And so it's going to be amazing when this man is finally taken out of, out of his office, who has a bit of backbone. Like when I think of the forces, the global forces, the most powerful forces that he's up against, I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Now, he wasn't a politician. He's been in the office now for almost four years. Maybe he's becoming a politician. And if he does become a politician, well, then he's useless because politicians are useless. But 
really interesting how he came outside of the system and he had backbone. So eventually he'll be gone. So in the process of time, the children of Ammon finally made their move and they made war against Israel. People act like America has no enemies. I'm Canadian, I'm British Canadian. Why do I care about America? Because it is the last hope for freedom in the world. Everything, everything else has gone socialist. There's no other country that is built upon the ideas that America is built upon. So baked into the fabric of America's founding are biblical concepts of freedom. No other nation has this. That's why America is the prize. That's why the communists and the, all the globalists and the Islamists, everybody has to bring down America. And the, the strange thing is, Americans and people who love freedom in the West, we're helping them, we're empowering them, we're giving them strength and support, and we're cheerleading them. And once America falls, we'll finally realize, oh, this thing is on our doorstep. This thing is going to hurt me personally. This thing is going to destroy my, my family. I thought it was all theoretical. Then we'll change. And then we'll call it to God. And God will say, you don't, don't call me. You call your gods that you have given yourselves to and let them deliver you. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them, he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. So these enemies are rising up. The Communist Party of China, the, the jihadists, the... the uh, different uh, ex extremist and, and activist groups within the country of America. They're all, God is giving them all strength. He's empowering them because he's going to deliver us into their hands. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch, oh, we remember now, you know that guy we hated? You know the guy we despised? You know the guy that we wanted to kill? Remember how courageous he was? Remember the backbone that he had? The elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. So, you know what? We, we, need, we have an army. We just don't have anybody who's courageous or strategic in their thinking. Why don't you come and be our captain? And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Wait a minute. Hang on a second. Time out. Can we talk for a minute? Didn't you hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come unto me now when you're in distress? So, you know, I don't think this will be the case with Donald Trump, but he's an older man. But it would be like you get rid of him finally. Actually, you know, a good example would be Churchill, Winston Churchill. They hated Winston Churchill. He kept trying to warn them. There's a problem. Look, Germany is rising. Hitler is right. There's a, he had intelligence, as in military intelligence. And he was warning England. Nobody cared. Nobody listened to him. They listened to Will, uh, Chamberlain. Peace in our time. Waving the paper. And they, they despised Churchill until they were in trouble. Then they fetched him and said, will you be our leader? So that's the way... Fickle human beings think it's kind of it's in vogue to reject somebody and you just pile it on Everybody's going that way. I think I'll go that way too instead of pausing and kind of getting a big picture on what's going on Didn't you hate me and expel me out of my father's house and why are you come up unto me now when you're in distress and the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah 
Therefore we turn again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head. So it's gone from captain to now we want you to be our head. So now they're sweetening the deal. Over all the inhabitants of Gilead, this is what we'll offer you. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again. So he was, he was in exile. Like, that's my, that was my country. That's my home. So if you're going to bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? So let's make sure we get this clear. I'm going to be head over all of you. And, and there's a sense here from Jephthah of narcissism. And usually, you know, when you see the sort of the top CEOs, when you see these sort of top performers, many times they suffer from narcissism and, and self-reliance. They think they're just so wonderful. So now this guy is very ambitious. And he's like, I like, I like the sound of this. I'm going to come back, but make sure I come back to the highest honor. Make me the head. And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us. If we do not sow according to your word. So they're, they're serious. We, we, we really want you, and God will be our witness. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. So immediately. He, did, he hasn't even won anything yet. But they're so desperate, and they really need his support, that they made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So there's something in Jephthah that, that seems an element of faithfulness. And people, this is the thing, nobody's perfect. People are a mixture. And, and so when you, when you act like somebody's all evil, you know, orange man is all evil, there's nothing good about him, then something's warped. People are a mixture. And so Jephthah here has something in him that acknowledges the Lord. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, so now he's um, taken up his role, and he's now sending messengers to the king of the children of Ammon, saying, what have you to do with me, that you are come against me to fight in my land? So he's taken the role. I'm basically king of, of Gilead. Why are, why are you doing this? What, what, what's the issue here? And so the messengers go, and then the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah. So you can see people going back and forth. Because Israel took away my land. So remember God said, you go in and you clear the land. But they didn't do that. So now their disobedience is coming back to bite them. Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt. From Arnon even unto Jabbok, so he's giving the geography, and unto Jordan. Now, therefore, restore those lands again unto me peaceably. And, and you can even hear to this day over in the uh, Middle East, you hear the Palestinians saying to the, the Jews, you've taken our, this is our land, give it back to us. So same thing. And Jephthah sent messengers again unto the king of the children of Ammon and said unto him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab. And I think my, if my wife is watching, I forgot to bring a handkerchief. If you don't mind uh, passing a handkerchief to me, I'd appreciate it. Um, and said unto him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. So he's, uh, that Ammon is obviously concerned just with Ammon, but Jephthah now presents his defense with Moab and Ammon, that we did not do this. 
And, and that, in fact, he, 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 again, Jephthah is demonstrating a, a degree of understanding because this comes from the Torah. And in the Torah here in Deuteronomy 2 and verse 4, uh, God says to Moses, and command you the people saying, you are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take you good heed unto yourselves, therefore, meddle not with them. For I will not give you of their land, no, not so much as a footbreadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. So that was a very clear instruction when they came in, leave Edom alone. And the Lord said unto me, distress not the Moabites. Thanks so much. Distress not the Moabites. So in addition to the Edomites, he says here, distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle. So don't have anything to do with the Moabites either. For I will not give you of their land for a possession, because I have given R unto the children of Lot for a possession. So, so very clear that there's very clear instructions here with Edom, with the Moabites, and then verse 19, and when you come near over against the children of Ammon, distress them not, nor meddle with them, for I will not give you of the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I have given it unto the children of Lot for a possession. So uh, Jephthah is very clear that the children of Ammon, yes, we took land, but we didn't take land from Moab, and we didn't take land from Ammon. So if there's any land in dispute, that means that you took land that didn't belong to you. And so the land that we took, it has, it's none of your business. So uh, Jephthah now continues to recite his understanding of the past. But when Israel came up from Egypt and walked through the wilderness unto the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray you, Pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto, and in like manner they sent unto the king of Moab, and he would not consent, and Israel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness and compassed the land of Edom. So he's, he's got his history. He knows the history. And came by the east side of the land of Moab and pitched on the other side of Arnon, but came not within the border of Moab. For Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon. And Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we, we pray you, we ask you, through your land into my place. But Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast, but Sihon gathered all his people together and pitched in Jehaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the, into the hand of Israel. And they smote them, so Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. So Jephthah has all of this history, and he's able to contend with the king of Ammon with this history that his claim is false. This is what actually happened, and, and he understands that the Lord is the one who delivered Israel. So he takes up the offer from his brethren, knowing this history, that God does in fact love Israel, he's in covenant with Israel, and he delivers the Gentiles into Israel's hand. And they possessed all the coasts of the Amorites, from Arnon even unto Jabbok, and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So, so he's showing here how um, it, it was really Sihon 
So Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast, but Sihon gathered all his people together and pitched in Jahaz, and he's the one that initiated the fight. And the Lord God Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they smote them. So it, this is how Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, not the Ammonites, the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all the coasts of the Amorites from Arnon even unto Jabbok, and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So now... The Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people, Israel. And should you possess it? So you're going after this land? When, when God is, it's the God of Israel that dispossessed these people, and now you want to take it? Won't you possess that with which Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And, and there's a question here because their God was really Molech. But maybe he's teasing them to say, well, if Molech was your god, why, why, do, why don't you have the land? Why, why, was, why do the people of Chemosh, the god of Chemosh, have the land? Will you not possess that with Chemosh your god gives you to possess? So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. So what happened to your god Molech? You know, so, so our god is giving us land as he promised and obviously is able to subdue these false gods. And now, are you anything better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive, strive against Israel, or did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns, and in Aror and her towns, and in all the cities that be along by the coast of Arnon, 300 years. So there was no issue here. Are, are you better? Why, therefore, did you not recover them within that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you. So very good recounting of history. First of all, it's like, what's your problem? And then now, uh, when the problem is defined, no, you've got a wrong understanding. Here's the history. So I haven't sinned against you. Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you do me wrong to war against me. The Lord, the judge, be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. So quite a good, strong theological basis. So uh, good understanding of the history and the theology. Very, very interesting. And uh, where were the other leaders in Israel, in, in Gilead? They just weren't there. But this man comes out of, in the sense, the wilderness, out of nowhere, and he's, able to, he's ready to take them on, and he has backbone. Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah, which he sent him. Now notice this. So up to now... It, there's no language from the author that indicates that God chose Jephthah, that God raised up Jephthah. It, it seems like the people went and got him because they, they lacked courage and they remembered his courage. And so they went and they got him. But in, in no way did, did the author give us any indication that God raised up Jephthah. But regardless, God loves Israel. And now that Jephthah is in this role, the author says to us, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead. So, that, so, it came, so we saw before where the Spirit of the Lord clothed uh, Gideon, and, and God's Spirit just comes on over these people. And, and these people are not converted. It doesn't say the Spirit of the Lord came into. It just comes upon and gives them supernatural ability. So, so you see a man in a high office in the land, accomplishing you know, supernatural feats. Maybe the Spirit of the Lord has come upon him. Why? Not because he loves the man, 
but because he loves Israel. He loves Israel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. So he's on the, the, the um, he's being proactive on the offense. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If you shall without fail to deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, then it shall be that whatsoever comes forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So this is going to be an issue. I think if most of us are familiar with this story, when we get to the end of the chapter, we're going to see a real issue here. But the issue is the vow. So, and you know, today we don't care about vows. We make vows and we break them and it's nothing. But to God, vows are everything. When you vow, vow unto the Lord, you, you keep your vow. And, and the culture understood that. You know, back in the day, even uh, Gentiles understood when you make a vow, you, you keep it. Now, this vow is unwise. But he is so ambitious and so dead. I think when you're rejected, then you fight harder to come back. And so you see somebody like Donald Trump rejected and mocked and laughed at and ridiculed. And now you see him fighting to prove all of my critics, you are all wrong. You know, look now. And so you can kind of see if you look at Donald Trump and how he's responded, how he has responded. You know, what's the, I forget the exact saying, but the, the sweetest uh, revenge is victory, something like that. So, so he's just like, he wants to win big and silence all his critics. And I think I can see that same kind of psychology here with Jephthah, that he, he wants to win. So he's, uh, you know, He's confident of the history, but he's not 100% confident. And so just to reinforce the, his confidence, he is now bribing God. He's basically saying to God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Completely unnecessary. He just really needs to understand the way when you look at when we study Psalms and you look at David's understanding and he reminds God of the covenant and he acknowledges the unfaithfulness of Israel, but he reminds God of his covenant and his covenant love. And, and he appeals to God in the, in the covenant love to, to come back to, to, to the faithfulness, to, despite Israel's unfaithfulness to be faithful to Israel. Jephthah doesn't have this. Jephthah's just very ambitious and really wants to come back, can't afford to lose. He might be killed in battle, but worse, just to lose and come back to the Gileadites and be rejected again, maybe even more. And so he vows this vow to kind of reinforce his victory. And it's a foolish vow, but it's also a very um, cruel vow. Because he says, it shall be that whatsoever comes forth of the doors of my house to meet me. And that language in the Hebrew indicates he's expecting one of his servants to come and meet him. So he's already in, 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 into human sacrifice, which was common in, in, in this land in this time. And so whoever that servant is that comes to meet me, I'm going to sacrifice that servant. And he says, um, they shall surely be the Lord's. And listen... I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So maybe it's an animal, because there's you know they did the burnt offerings, but he's quite willing if it's a human being, because he doesn't really know what's going to meet him. So if it's one of his servants, he's going to offer up that servant as a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, 
and the Lord delivered them into his hands, which he would have done anyway. So Jephthah's lack of understanding, lack of confidence, and, and deciding to bribe God, is, it's going to end in disaster for him. And he smote them from Aurora, even till you come into Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards, with a very great slaughter. It's supernatural. It's like, how is this even possible? You know that God is behind it. <clears throat> Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And so his whole understanding of the historical context of this battle was right on. And just in that, he should have understood the faithfulness of God to Israel. Then Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house. So now, after all this phenomenal victory, he comes home. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him. Remember his vow, whoever comes out to meet me first, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only, so she's the only person that came out to meet him. And she was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. If it, was some, if it was another human being, if it was one of my servants, then I would just be in such joy and such victory because now I'm going to be head over all of Gilead. I'm going, to, I'm going to realize my ambition and I'll have a human sacrifice along the way, but I made that vow to God, so I'm quite happy. That's okay. But it's my daughter. And human beings have this very selfish way of thinking that we don't care if it's somebody outside of our family. We don't care if it's somebody outside of our race. We're just very myopic and very self-centered and, and only care about ourself and the extended self. And so his daughter is part of his extended self. You have brought me very, so it's just like you have done, you've done this. He, it's not, I have brought me very low. I made a foolish vow. Somehow this is her fault coming out to have joy that her father survived and he's victorious and he's come home. Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are one of them that trouble me. So he had enemies. His own brothers were his enemies, and they troubled him. And now she's saying to his daughter, you're among my enemies. Why couldn't you have stayed in and let somebody else come out first? You are one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot back. So again, people are uh, a mixture. So there is a part of his character that when he's given his vow, he's not going to go back on him. There's a part of his character that's very courageous. There's a part of his character that understands the history of Israel. But there's another part of his character that's very ambitious. And there's another part of his character that's very insecure. And there's another part of his character that's willing to bribe God. And so people are a mixture. And so in this mixture now, he sees, he realizes he has to sacrifice and burn alive like the pagans around him burn his daughter in the fire. <clears throat> and she said unto him, and I'll, and I'll just on this point, uh, again, I just, because I've been in this battle with my own black brethren about Black Lives Matter, trying to show them the danger they are in and how they are being pawns to the white Marxist intellectuals. They think they're doing the, the work of black people when in fact they're destroying black people. And they're destroying their own family. 
that when Black Lives Matter is successful, their children will be burnt offerings. They will watch while their children are sacrificed on the altar of Black Lives Matter. They will watch while their sons are rounded up and have their penises cut off because Black Lives Matter is about transgenderism. They rejoice in transgenderism. They want to enforce transgenderism. They want to destroy the nuclear family. They want to remove the father from the nuclear family. So all you brethren that are running after Balaam, you're going to sacrifice your own children. And you're going to realize what trouble you've brought on your own family as you play the pawn to the white socialist intellectuals who are laughing at you. They're laughing at you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to open your eyes. And you're hostile to me while you're being manipulated by the white man, <laughs> by the white socialist. These, these people are powerful intellects. And you have to go back to the 1920s. You have to go back to the front. You have to go back to, sorry, earlier to Karl Marx. Then you have to go to the Frankfurt School. Then you have to go to cultural Marxism. Then you have to study postmodernism. And then you can have an opinion that matters about Black Lives Matter. But if you're just kind of caught up in the day to day and watching CNN and you want to have an opinion about Black Lives Matter, sorry, your opinion doesn't count. You don't know anything. You're blind. You ever hear that nursery rhyme? Three blind mice, three blind mice, see how they run, see how they run. They all run up to the farmer's wife who cut off their tail with a farmer's knife. Have you ever seen such a sight in your life as three blind mice? Except it won't be their tail that the farmer's wife will be cutting off. The Marxists will be cutting off the penises of your sons. They'll be removing your children from the home. They're not your children. They're the children of the state. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. And she said unto him, My father, if you have opened your mouth unto the Lord, do to me... And you know, in fact, I was sitting on the... I, went, I had to get outside today, get a bit of sunshine before I came in back for the study. And I sat down on the park bench. And I said, You know, these folks who are fighting for Balaam, do they really understand what's going on? And I said, you know, to understand what's going on, you have to see all these forces and how they're shaping our society and how they all work together. And I thought, let me just make a list to myself of 10 things, 10 things that if you can't explain how these 10 things link together, then you really don't deserve to have an opinion. So I started to write, you know, in five minutes, can I come up with 10 things? to say, can you explain to me how these things are interrelated and, and how these, these forces that are changing society are interrelated? Because if you can't, then I'm not interested in your opinion because it's, it's, it's misinformed. So I sat down, so I give myself five minutes to come up with 10 things. And in less than two minutes, I came with, up with 20. And I said, okay, well, 20 is good. But I, I, I wasn't finished. So I came up with 30. And I still wasn't finished, so I came up with 35. And then I thought, okay, 35, that, that's enough. And then it just kept coming. So I finally came up with 40, and I said, Adrian, stop. But I couldn't stop. I ended up with 46. But let me just quickly throw these out at you and say to you, do you understand how all these forces that are shaping our society, 
are interconnected? How, how are they woven together? What is the thread that ties them all together? Because if you cannot answer this, then you don't understand what's happening in the world around us and you don't know where it's heading. So very quickly, the COVID quarantine, the Communist Chinese Party, and that it's not, it's not criticized, it caused this virus globally and nobody cares. They only care about Donald Trump and destroying Trump and bringing down America. When the Chinese Communist Party released this virus, whether purposely or accidentally, it came from them and it was negligence, but nobody cares, nobody's outraged. Black Lives Matter and their claim of systemic racism. Systemic, it has to be systemic. Again, this language doesn't come from the Bible, but systemic so that we have to bring the system down, we have to remove the system entirely because it's systemic racism. Islam and the growth of Islam in the West burning the American flag, that people are joyfully burning the American flag, the um, criticizing America. Only, only things that happen in America are bad, even though things that happen far more egregious all over the world, they're never mentioned. Uh, the Catholic Church and its, its decadence, Antifa, the, the news media, mass, uh, mass media, manufactured consent, the corporate cooperation, that the major corporations support movements like Black Lives Matter and Antifa, the whole Epstein suicide and what's going on with, with that case, postmodernism, the riots, the, and I just wrote this so quickly as I'm having trouble read, reading some of the, the writing, cancel culture, the Palestinian uprising, sex education for your children, transgenderism agenda, uh, I can go on and on, abortion, spygate, fatherlessness, uh, Google, Twitter, Facebook, and, and their censorship. Uh, the $150 billion that was given to our Iran, a sworn enemy of America. The toppling of statues. Uh, the immorality of youth. The, the churches pursuing social justice. Leaving the gospel and pursuing social justice. Um, Hollywood. And, and the fact that you never see a movie anywhere that in any way comes close to criticizing China. Everything coming out of Hollywood, everything produced on Netflix is criticizing America. And if anything, it praises China and shows how wonderful China is. The hashtag MeToo movement, uh, the climate change movement, the intelligence community and the corruption of the intelligence community at the highest levels, the, the demoralization of Americans, uh, the, the language of churches, even CGI, leaving the scriptures and being informed by demons. I could go on and on and on. Unless you can sit down and say, Adrian, all of these things that you mentioned, I understand how they're all interwoven and how they all connect and, how they are, and, and, and the future that any one of them, but how all of them combined, the future that it will bring. If you don't know, if you're just kind of, it's all just sporadic to you, you're really, really uninformed. And I would say that, and I'm just, again, I'm speaking out of love. The stakes could not be higher. The stakes could not be higher. So these things are examples to us upon whom the ends of the earth should come, the ends of the world should come. Why? That we should not lust after evil things. Covetousness is evil. Wanting the wealth that others have is evil. Do you have food? Do you have raiment? Be satisfied. Contentness, contentment with godliness is great gain. That's what comes out of the scripture. So don't lust after evil things. 
we are part of something so grand. We, like, get this vision. When, when we have this vision, it's like nothing else matters. We have the pearl of great price. Everything else fades into obscurity. But if we don't really have the vision, then all these things matter to us. And we're easily confused and manipulated. Let's just finish the chapter here. He says, um, do to me according to that which proceeded out of your mouth. So a very loyal daughter. And, and not at all like the children today. And, and again, the Marxist children. When the children, when the Marxists get a hold of your children, they will betray you as fast as lightning. So that cute little girl, that cute little boy that you have, once they're finished, once they go through the university system and the grade school system, you're, you're going to lose them. But here, so loyalty to her, <clears throat> she says, for as much as the Lord has taken vengeance for you of your enemies, even of the children of Ammon. So she's like, she's just really happy for him. Go ahead and do what you need to. And she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months. And uh, Pastor Murray, I'm going to bring in Pastor Murray shortly. So Pastor Murray, um, when you do uh, come in, if you can just look at your camera, I'm just, uh, I'm seeing a bit of a challenge there. Maybe you need to just log out and log back in to see if we can fix that issue with your camera. Uh, so Pastor Murray will be joining soon and we can have some discussion. Um, and she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me. Allow, leave me alone for two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows, or I and my friends. And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. So he didn't have any children. She didn't have any children. She wasn't married. And uh, again, the, the, at least at this time, you know, she cared about the fact that she was uh, a virgin. Uh, today, even in the church, People don't care about this. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man, and it was a custom in Israel, that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. So very stupid vow, very unwise vow, by a very ambitious man who was insecure and really not fully confident in the Lord, and, and what, what should have been a great victory ended up a, a great tragedy. And so sometimes, um, we, we, because of our lack of relying on God, we can set things up in such a way that even when God delivers, even when God comes through, it's actually a, 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 an, it's not a, full, it's not a full victory. So that is Judges chapter 11. And uh, what we'll do now is have a bit of time for Q&A. And I'll just uh, go ahead and bring in uh, Pastor Murray. And uh, Brother Murray, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you well. I, I cannot hear you, so that means I need to. Uh, let's see here. What is happening? Let me just change. Just give me a second, number. I just need to change sure. the sound. And I think what I can do is put on my headphones. <clears throat> Let me see if this helps. Can you hear me, Murray? Yeah, I can hear you well. Can yeah, you hear me? Perfect. And I can hear you perfectly well as well. Perfect. So that's great. Okay. So uh, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a couple of weeks since uh, we've been together. Like, well, we've been together on the Sabbath, but since doing the, the study. Yes. Uh, yeah, so um, how have you been? 
Uh, good, good. Uh, really uh, uh, appreciate being back together here and uh, getting back into the Book of Judges. It's been uh, pretty timely with all that's been going on around us, um, uh, especially with, uh, you know, the study of uh, uh, Gideon, which took uh, a few weeks, and all that God, all that, uh, God says about Israel and, um, and his people that is pretty relevant today. So, yes. yeah, it's good to be back together. Very, very good. So um, we have, um, if you can watch the Church Online feed, I'm watching the Facebook feed, and I'm just testing out the ability to show um, Facebook messages. So, so we see Brenda saying, thank you, God bless, and Zippy saying, uh, we have to have faith and do good deeds, be strong. That's We have to encourage each other to be strong. Um, here we see Robert saying, even the people who are not baptized see the vision of God. Amazing. Uh, and that's that's another yeah. point, Robert, and I appreciate um, bringing this up, that social so media... Th there is a, a note here. There's a note here from both... There's a note here, just if I don't, uh, sorry for interrupting, but from both Wesley and Christine, that I'm quite louder than you are. So there's something, uh, an issue with your, your okay. volume. So uh, can you, does, does my volume sound louder now? It does to me. Yeah, we'll yeah. know in about 30 seconds. Okay, so, yeah, so I just turned up the volume. So thanks very much for that. Um, but this is very interesting by, and I wonder what you think about this. I'll share my thoughts on this. He says, even the people who are not baptized see the vision of God. And I think this is very important. The scripture shows us that there's going to be a wholesale repentance in the end time. But some of our brethren, their posts on social media are, are about activism. They're social activists. They're not preaching the gospel. And people are overwhelmed with negative news. And they're falling into depression. They're falling into anxiety. And if they come across then and read our posts, we're, we're driving them further into that depression instead of showing them the vision of God. And I just wonder what your thoughts are, Murray. Yeah. Um, ever since the Garden of Eden, man has had a hole, uh, uh, a godless hole in him that he seeks to fill. And he'll fill it with something. And our job is to help them fill it with the truth of God, with the, with the true gospel. Exactly. Uh, and, and you're right. Uh, go back to Judges 8 and 9, the, the point that you made uh, where uh, God said, uh, uh, I'm just paraphrasing it right now, but uh, if, if you're going to go that way, make sure it better be for the four that you, that you were in it wholeheartedly and just misguided. Uh, but uh, don't don't go in uh, trying to you know play both sides. Right, right, yeah. That's I think when a, when uh, Abimelech's people were like, okay, you're going after Abimelech, and you're doing it sincerely. That's one thing. But if you're doing it strategically and politically and playing both sides, that's completely different. Yeah, and I think uh, and I'm, uh, this is what we're going to talk about uh, uh, this Sabbath. Um, I'm working on a message relative to conscience. And Timothy, well, the New, Paul, Paul uh, several times in the New Testament talks about this concept of conscience, which is was really uh, a Greek term, a, a Greek concept, uh, much like logos was that Paul yes. then adapted in, into uh, understanding of uh, into a, an understanding. And what's coming to light here, we're going to look at it a little bit deeper this uh, this Sabbath is this concept of conscience is the ability to to um, understand where your motives lie, that your motives are clean or evil or pure. And um, uh, my fear is uh, that some of our brethren uh, are not, not, uh, um, they're not doing it out of malice. They're absolutely, absolutely misguided here yes. with, with their, with their intent. Yes. And, and that's why we need to uh, um, make sure we check our intent and, and our, our moral compass 
and synthesize it because that's that's what we're going to see is that's this Greek word. Um, it has to do with synthesizing our morality. Um, and we need to make sure we synthesize it with the right document, which that's, is God's holy word. Nice. Uh, and that's what I was saying in the study today, that if my words abide in you, so we've got to make right. sure that his words are abiding in us. But uh, that's a nice teaser. And I really, uh, really enjoy that. We're looking forward to that. Um, so are, are, is my sound any better? Uh, it's uh, much closer to even. Um, okay, good, good. Much closer. Um, I was going to say something else in response to what you said. You were talking about, yeah, so just a little bit that I saw the title of your sermon and the scripture that you chose. It sounds very, very intriguing. It sounds like it's going to be a very, very interesting study. Appreciate that. Any any other comments or questions? I have a few more from Facebook, but uh, any on the, uh, on the uh, chat? Just a, just a comment from the sister that uh, Samuel in 1 Samuel 12 uh, refers back and includes Jephthah as as one of the folks that uh, God uh, uh, sends to, to help deliver Israel. Right, um, right. And I think another um, another message that we want to get across here is that the judges are chosen not because they're wonderful people, but because God loves Israel, and there's something in them that he can work with. So it's not that we're looking for perfect, these many saviors have to be perfect. They don't have to be perfect. They just have to have some attribute, and usually it's courage, but they have to have some attribute that God can use to, de- to deliver Israel through, through the human affairs. Right, and it, it is interesting. Some of them are mentioned in Hebrews 11 uh, as as being, uh, um, we call it the Hall of Faith, yes. uh, pillars of faith. Uh, Jephthah was one. Uh, Gideon was one that's mentioned in there. I think Barak as well. Um, right. But if you go, even going before the, the folks that are listed there, as the judges and going all the way back to the patriarchs, uh, you can do a study and see that all of the patriarchs, there, there are sins they were not perfect people, right? Moses, exactly. Abraham, they all were Samuel, and the uh, Bible. And the Bible doesn't hide it. God doesn't hide it. No, in fact, um, He shines the light on that, so that uh, much like Paul said, it's not. It's not me that's doing this. It's, it's God. I'm just the now, now right? to me, uh, Pastor Murray, what you're touching on here is so critical because there's a lot of brethren who hate America, and and inwardly they're glad that America is failing because they don't see America as biblically based. But what you just brought out speaks to the Judeo-Christian principles behind America. When the Marxists speak, they speak of utopia. Their rhetoric is wonderful. We want to see a world where nobody is poor, everybody, nobody is forced to work, everything is just so beautiful and wonderful, and it's, it's animal farm. Um, but this utopia, you just have to give me the power. And we just need to keep making the government stronger and more powerful to do this distribution of wealth. And then once they get in power, they bring hell. But America is founded on this concept that man must be free because that's a God-given right. But how do we govern men who have the right from God to be free if we ourselves are corrupt? And so a lot of effort was put into building this constitution in such a way that it acknowledged man is flawed. And if he has too much power, he will abuse it. So let's set up this system in such a way, because the Bible shows us how flawed men are, even the best of us. Let's set up this system in such a way that there are checks and balances and no one man or one branch of government or, or, or institution can have too much power. I wonder if you have... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And I think what uh, what lies behind America's greatness 
and again, not perfect, and and they were led by flawed people. So there's no there's no debating that. But it was it is and was a great country. Uh, and you use the phrase Judeo-Christian principles, and we do have a couple of comments here. I'll just sort of finish my my thought here with you. Um, that goes to uh, what God had set up in the cursings and the blessings. With uh, there are certain natural ramifications of doing things God's way. Now, uh, were, were they were they uh, first fruits? Uh, it doesn't seem to be. Uh, some of our the the American le- forefathers, but some of the principles they practiced are biblical principles, and they're just natural blessings that result from. Absence exactly. of a knowledge of absence exactly. you can have no you can have no knowledge of God, but as long as you're practicing these principles, they're natural Cause and effect. Right. Yeah, very, very good. So yeah, I completely agree with you there. So uh, uh, one sister here says Jephthah's faith seemed weak, but his daughter still managed to have her own relationship with God. Sometimes the children have to lead the way. Wow, great comment. Mm-hmm. And you see that saw that with uh, Jephthah's daughter. And and she you know what that, that he maintained his vow. Yes, exactly. They're very good. And uh, that's what we need today. We need that next generation to come up and to have that faith because the scripture shows us that in the end time, the people of God are going to do exploits. So as our generations fade away and the new generations come up, we need them to have that strong faith. Absolutely. Another sister makes a comment. Uh, um, it seems as if Jephthah was trying to be diplomatic with the king of Ammon. Yeah, great, great comment. And I think absolutely that if, if this could have been handled diplomatically, he seemed to have a lot of uh, abilities that, you know, they rejected him and threw him out because he was the daughter of a prostitute. And of course, they're perfect, but he's not. So they get rid of him. Uh, then suddenly they realize they need him. And he, when he shows up, there's a lot of things there that are commendable. His, his understanding of the history of Israel, his belief in God, uh, his, his courage and his diplomacy. And you see even, uh, even his negotiation ability. You know, when they say, oh, come back, we'll make you the captain. He's like, uh, not so fast. Then maybe I need, I need more than that. Okay, what about the head? Uh, okay, yeah. And you think of, uh, again, Donald Trump, the art of the deal. Uh, he's he's, he's a, not just a businessman. He's a negotiator. But he's also this, he's ready for war. If, like, China wants to go to war, let's go to war. Previous administrations, Republican and Democrat, were giving away the country to China. And there's this sort of this global collusion that China will take the lead in ushering this communist future. Uh, but he's like, no, we've got to stop this. This doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so he's demonstrating a lot of capabilities uh, beyond the typical politician. And he's somebody that was just laughed at and ridiculed and rejected. And so, yes, absolutely. I think that uh, Jephthah had demonstrated significant uh, skill in diplomacy, but it was rejected. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, as you walk through uh, his handling of Israel's history, um, we, we've said it many times over the last five weeks and even before that, those who forget their history uh, cease to become a people. Exactly. Uh, this, is evidence, this is evidence here that um, this rejected uh, son of a prostitute kept up on his history, uh, cared enough about his people yeah. that he kept up on their history and was able to. Exactly. To tap Very good point. And you could imagine the media, the CNN of the day. Oh, this is this mother. She's horrible. She's a prostitute. And just they just would not they would not let that go. Uh, and yet God chose this man. Um, mm-hmm. And so let's, let's be careful. Uh, you know, we're looking for perfection. We're all, none of us are perfect. You know, I wanted to mention in the study, um, Pastor Marina, just mention it now. I don't know if you've seen this. This is um, a chart uh, done by the Medical Association in Texas showing the risk of uh, contracting COVID-19. What are uh, listing all these activities from low risk to high risk? 
and uh, the, the, the high, among the highest risks, second from the bottom, is attending a religious gathering of more than 500 people. This puts you at the highest risk of contracting COVID-19. It doesn't say of risk of dying, but just of contracting COVID-19. So uh, I thought it was quite interesting that, you know, we think of the feast and we want to gather at the feast and they're already flagging this as of the highest risk activity. But um, things like uh, obviously the riots, rioting for Black Lives Matter, that's not a high risk activity. And they have all these other activities that are considered low risk, but attending a church service, if there's more than 500 people there, that is of the high, that's, that's the worst thing you could possibly do. It just goes to uh, uh, speak to more and more of the conspiracy behind all of this thing. Not that, not that the virus isn't dangerous, it is, but it's being used uh, for reasons to, uh, and, and when you understand the Bible and you understand biblical prophecy and, and where things are going, um, Satan's target is God's people. So yeah, this, exactly, this, exactly. This, might, this, is, this is all part of uh, um, everybody else is, uh, what do they call, uh, uh, ca- casualty of war. Exactly right. Murray, that's a perfect perspective. If only we could get God's people to understand that. We are the highest prize. Uh, The spiritual children and the genetically uh, descendant children of Israel and Judah. This is the target of Satan. And everything that's happening on the chessboard, that's the prize. And and what you said, I I fear a lot of people don't understand. I just have a couple of uh, more comments here. Ar- Arlene says, uh, thank you for the Bible study tonight. Really missed the past two weeks. Always look forward to the Bible study. So that's uh, one of the brethren that certainly appreciate And I did get a lot of uh, uh, emails and uh, messages from people asking, you know, do we have a study tonight? So something, uh, Pastor Murray, people do appreciate. Um, I just want to say just a couple more. Uh, civility being destroyed and losing freedom. Uh, that's certainly a trend. And, and again, if we understand Marxism and cultural Marxism, we'll understand the agenda and what's going on uh, and, and and something that's something that god's people need to be wary of that we can't be uncivil yes. we must rise above our behavior must must uh, uh manifest what god has taught us to be right on right on very very good did you have some more um comments from the oh just one just came through yeah uh sister says uh ruth is said in the time of the judges Kinsman Redeemer idea translate into the into being a judge in the book of Judges. Uh, say the question again, Pastor Murray. Um, Ruth is set in the time of the of the judges. Does the Kinsman re- Redeemer concept translate into being a judge in the book of Judges? Yeah, and judges we define as a savior or or redeemer, a mini redeemer. Uh, but the redeemer has to come from among the people. And so you'll never see among the judges that it's a Gentile that God raises up and puts in the office to deliver his people. Uh, the Gentiles are genetically wired to hate Israel and to destroy Israel. And so God then, from among his own people, there's a Redeemer that rises up to, to, to claim. Uh, I think more study could go into that, and specifically the definition of kinsman Redeemer. But it definitely has to be a Redeemer from, from, from kin. Right, absolutely agree, and uh, for the very reason that Christ uh, had to come from within the people of of, uh, of Judah. Yes, yes. Um, uh, no other comments here so far. Uh, just those three. Great, and just a um, a question here from Willow, which I'm not sure if you're able to answer this. A lot of city and county in South Carolina have a mandate to wear a mask policy, so you have to wear a mask. My question. Some have added a clause 
that if it's against your religion, you do not have to wear a mask. What does the Bible say? I know Romans chapter 13. And why don't we just quickly uh, go to Romans 13. Sure. This was actually a scripture that I wanted to cover in the sermon uh, on Sabbath. But uh, let's just quickly look at that. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And again, this is, I didn't cover this on Sabbath when I was dealing specifically with Black Lives Matter, but all of our black activists who are getting behind Black Lives Matter, you are going contrary to the word of God. The word of God says that Christians should be subject to the higher powers. We are not revolutionaries. We are not trying to overthrow government. We're not trying to tear down society. That's not what Christians do. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what his, his, uh, his apostles taught. There is no power but of God. So God allows these powers, these people, to be in office. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So based on the strength of this, Romans 13, 1 and 2, and uh, we can go on uh, to read the best, the rest, but I think the essence of it is here. Um, I would say that if the mask becomes mandatory, uh, then Christians are not going to rise up and fight against it. Me personally, uh, I, I don't think there's science, enough science to support the wearing of masks. I think there's a lot of people that are wearing them incorrectly, and they're actually damaging their health uh, rather than supporting or strengthening their health. But if I'm going somewhere and they say, you know, for this particular time you need to wear a mask, then I can choose not to go there. Nobody's forcing me to go there. So maybe I'll say, you know what, no thanks, I'm not going to go. Um, but I'm not going to start a revolution over this. But what happened to my body, my choice? You know, when it comes to killing a baby, hey, my body, my choice. But now suddenly, when it comes to wearing a mask, my body, not my choice. I have to do what the government tells me. And, and where is all this heading? So, so it's these sort of incremental uh, encroachments on freedom, and especially, I think, for Americans. America was built on freedom. So that's sort of my, my top-of-mind thoughts to that, Pastor Murray. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, I'm not a fan of the masks. Uh, um, I think that... Um, um, there's there's too much there's too much evidence the other way that that the masks cause more problems than they than they than they solve. Uh, but that being said, you know I, I'm a younger man of, in good health. Uh, I do understand that that the there are we have older brethren that are a little susceptible, um, and I, I think you make a good point uh, that uh, we are not to be revolutionaries for this world. We That's are right. we are here to shine light on the gospel. Exactly. In fact. Right. Um, I'll, I'll throw another scripture. I don't know if you have time to throw it up on the board or, or not, sure, but it's first Timothy, first Timothy, first Timothy two. Hang on. Let me just let me get there. Um, sure. First Timothy. Verses, uh, one, begin at verse one till about uh, uh, three, I suppose. Oops. First. Sorry. Hang on a second. I'm all thumbs. First Timothy two. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, beginning of verse one, it says, so after he he's really just introducing Timothy to the concept of uh, of uh, um, why he's leaving him, uh, uh, kind of mentoring him here, and as he, he leaves him here to 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 raise up the church and take care of the church, he begins in uh, the, the the bulk of the letter, in chapter two, verse one. He says, "I exhort therefore that first of all, 
supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, mm -hmm. for kings and for all that are in authority. And here's why, and here's some what we overlook, that we, the body of Christ, exactly. may lead a quiet and peaceable <laughs> life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This goes completely, this, this gives us reason not to be revolutionaries to, to change this world today. Exactly. Um, and, and you know, know uh, and peaceable. exactly. And you know, Pastor Murray, this is a fantastic scripture because we know the history of America and we have to ask ourselves up to now, have we been able to preach the gospel? You know, when the worldwide church of God was one of the most powerful uh, broadcasts in the world, did that happen in America? Were we able to go about our work under the auspices of an American flawed system? I think the answer is clearly yes. Absolutely. Now, if we give power to Balaam, if we give power to Black Lives Matter and all the Marxists, they allow us to preach the gospel. They're already saying that attending a church service is one of the most dangerous things that you can do. They're already saying that um, there, there's no place for Jesus. They're already saying take the father out of the home. We're already saying the children belong to the state, not to the family. So we want to give these people power. We want to put these people in power. And do we think we'll be able to go about uh, a, a peaceable, a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and, and honesty? Or will we be forced to give our children over to transgenderism? Will we be forced to educate our children at the earliest ages in sexual activity? Because the Marxists know that the sooner they can get children to engage in sexual activity, the less likely they will be successful in pair bonding. That the more sexual they are at an earlier age, the less, the less successful they will be in marriage. The more pure they are at an early age, when they do bond with another human being, they'll be able to bond for life. The Marxists know this. They learned a painful lesson in World War I and World War II. The power of family. And they are set out to destroy it. And all I can say is, woe unto any of our brethren who are supporting these Marxist movements. This is a great scripture, Murray. Did you want to read a bit more on this? Uh, no, no, that's uh, I think that's that's enough for, for today. That's great. Uh, yeah, great, from great scripture. But that really goes to uh, um, that is why they are saying that uh, going to church is very dangerous. It's not because of the virus. Yeah, it's because, <laughs> it's because it what it's what inoculates us against all, all that they're trying to yes. uh, indoctrinate. And, and they're acting like the virus is the most dangerous thing that we could ever face. Meanwhile, communist China is arming itself. It is doubling down on its military power. We've got Islam that is doubling down on its military power. We've got all kinds of threats, things that will clearly annihilate us. And they're using this COVID-19. This is the most power. This is the, the only danger that we should care about. And therefore, if that's the only danger we should care about, attending a church service is the biggest, the, the riskiest thing we could ever do. Meanwhile, the communists are taking over our country and taking away our freedoms. Um, there's somebody here that is, uh, Philip, you're asking, where is CGI located in Toronto? And you've given us your phone number. We'll definitely reach out to you and, uh, and, and give you that information. So thank you so much for your interest. And uh, others are just saying that uh, they really appreciate our teachings and Jan, your, your teachings, Murray and Jan as well. And a couple, just a couple of comments here relative to uh, the masks and, and uh, uh, Dr. Fauci. Uh, flip-flopping on on masks being completely ineffective in january to being, <laughs> exactly. to being uh, the only thing we need now yes. and and yeah. and you know there's a place for masks and doctors wear masks for a reason 
uh, but they know what they're doing and they know how to handle the masks. And, and you know, you look up a disease like uh, hypoxia and uh, hypercapnia, uh, hy- hypoxia being the lack of oxygen in the bloodstream. Uh, people are hyperventilating and passing out and getting into accidents and getting into danger because there's not enough oxygen in their blood because they're cutting it off with these masks. And hypercapnia is when the uh, ratio of carbon dioxide and oxygen in the blood is out of balance. There's too much carbon dioxide in the blood. Uh, hypercapnia leads to organ failure ultimately. Um, so, so all of this, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask, and there's no instruction on how to wear them and the danger and how, to, how you can make a mask a cesspool for fungus and how that can lead to uh, lung infection. No, no instruction on this and no instruction on what to do to protect your immune system and how to make sure you're strengthening your immune system over time. No, none, none of this. Just mask, 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 and vaccine. It's very, very yep. strange. Uh, very strange indeed. And uh, um, I, I'm sure uh, I'm sure there's uh, many, many uh, uh, terrible reasons behind it. This is they're not they're not worried about our health for sure. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, agendas agendas behind this for sure. Amen. And Zippy says, uh, can't stop her worshiping the Lord of Lords. And she's concerned about the mark of Satan. That's not for her. Amen. And uh, Rod says, we're so courageous in Canada. You know what? God's people are courageous all over the world. Why? Because Christ says that if we, if we uh, deny him before men, he'll deny us before his father. And, and that's what it, these communists, they hate. Uh, they hate, um, and I just see a, a comment there about the mask as well. Uh, they hate Christ. And they, they are going to force us and, and position society in such a way that we'll be canceled if we stand up for Christ. Uh, and these Black Lives Matter, they hate Jesus Christ. They hate Christ. I, I just, I'm still trying to understand why anybody would support these people. Uh, and so we cannot deny him. So yeah, we've got to be filled with the Spirit. And, and, and you know, the other thing that Christ said, Pastor Murray, is that he tells us these things beforehand so that his joy will remain with us. So despite everything that's happening, there's a joy that we have because everything is happening exactly as he said it would. Absolutely, Pastor Adrian, for sure. That's why God uh, gives us these prophecies so that we uh, read and as you know, as begin, begin in Revelation, we read and reread them so that we don't forget. Exactly, exactly. When these things happen, we, we, it gives us a sense of calm and peace of mind that uh, God, God is in charge and he'll take care of us. Amen, amen to that, brother. So uh, did you want to say anything else uh, just about the uh, upcoming sermon on the Sabbath? And I, I, uh, I, I love where you're going with this. When I, saw, I saw the title and I saw the scripture reading, I thought, wow, this is going to be very interesting. Yeah, I think it's just, a, you know, it's been a heavy five weeks uh, of uh, covering uh, your three messages and my message and Dan's message as we uh, reacted to uh, some of the feedback about Black Lives Matter and some of the, the Marxist agendas we're seeing. So I, I didn't want to, uh, I wanted, it's, it's almost like a bit of a, uh, a segue into yes. where do we go from here? It's, it's a segue good. into, you know, we've done the heavy lifting and we've done a lot of, of uh, a lot of emo- emotional uh, processing of, of yes. things. Uh, but now, now it's time to understand uh, let, how do we keep moving forward properly Beautiful. as God's people? Amen. And, and again, the offers out there for those brethren who are having difficulty processing where we're coming from and have very strong opinions on the other side, we're happy to have a roundtable discussion and we'll record it. A digital roundtable, we'll record it. We'll make it available to the brethren so that people can hear the other side. 
uh, as I said in my sermon, we can reason. Let's reason together and, and bring your information, bring your scriptures, and let's explore this and help each other. But we're speaking from a place of passion and love for you and, and inviting you to read, search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Absolutely. And it's, it's when we can't reason together that uh, yeah. it's a huge red flag that something's not right. And, and, and just on that as well, when we can't reason together and when Christ says, look, I'm giving you a command, make sure that you love one another until I come. So if we find within ourselves something is bubbling up that is causing us to despise one another, causing us to hate one another, causing us not to be able to forgive one another, when the command is to love one another the way I've loved you, so that when people see us, they're like, wow, there's something different happening there. All this racial unrest in the world, and clearly these people love each other. They don't see race, they don't see economic status, they don't see age, they just love each other. That's, that's what we've got to pursue. And you know what, what's ominous is that it's, Christ says it's the sign of discipleship. That's, that's the sign. If you want a sign of how you're my, my disciples, it's the, the, <laughs> that there it is. So, so if we're not feeling that it's a big, it's a big mirror. Being red, held up yes. Yeah. Major red flag. You know, the, 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 the danger and the reality is God will separate some of his people from him and he personally will throw them in the lake of fire. So we cannot take God for granted. We, we have to have a godly fear about us and people need to see that we don't fear men. We fear God. Absolutely. And I, I, I think, I think that um, that's what people need to understand here is, is the passion we've displayed. And, and you addressed it in your sermon last week that, that sometimes that passion comes out um, rather forcefully. Um, but to understand where that's coming from, because our, our, our uh, modus operandi is to help save people from eternal death. That, that's our job. That's our right. responsibility. If you love me, feed my sheep. And uh, sometimes, it, sometimes it means taking each other to task like Paul took Peter to task. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's not, you know, bring smooth things. So, so, you know, am I a pastor, Murray, that you would say that, Adrian, I should check in with the people and see what they would like to hear? And, and then when you, when you take their temperature, then preach according to the things they would like to hear? Or should I just study the scripture? And preach what's in the scripture. And if people can't handle it and they have a problem with God, I can't make their problem with God my problem because then I'll have a problem with God. I just have to preach what's in the word. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, Isaiah talks about, you know, preaching, uh, preach to us nice things and preach to us soft and soft and easy things. Now, if, if the congregation is saying, hey, we don't understand this, can you cover this? That, that's that, a different that, thing. That's a, that's a way different thing, uh, uh, for sure. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, big long road ahead of us, but uh, um, appreciate all that you do, Pastor Adrian. Yeah, and likewise, and, and we'll get there. We'll get there. Absolutely. Um, you know, God loves Israel, and we are the first fruits of Israel, and he's going to have a first fruits harvest, and then he's going to have a fall harvest, and then the rest of humanity will come into the harvest as well. So we know that God is coming for his people. Uh, let's get ready, and uh, let's, let's take him seriously, take his word seriously, and let his word abide in us. Absolutely, Amen. absolutely. So, brother, really looking forward to your message on Sabbath. It sounds very intriguing and, and very comforting. And uh, I love you, my brother. Love all that you do. And uh, I just really appreciate the opportunity to, to minister alongside you. 
yeah, it's it's uh, it's uh, um, great to have you at my six. Someone, uh, yeah, someone, yeah, said, great to be at your six. Someone, I don't remember who said that. It was uh, I think it was Chris. Someone somebody named Chris. Yeah. Chris. Somebody named Chris said, yeah. Yes. So that's uh, I haven't forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have each other at six. That's for sure. Amen. And that for those who didn't see that, that's a military term for having your back, having someone else's back. So. Amen. Brother, well, looking, forward, looking forward to Sabbath. Uh, brethren, right. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Amen. Bye, everybody.